It's day one of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Don't you just love it? Don't you love new beginnings? If you finished off the year with us in Revelation, God said, behold, I am doing a new thing. And I just said, yes, sir, you are. And we're here for it. So today we are starting off this brand new daily journey through the Bible, reading all the way through using a chronological reading plan. So if you are new here, we welcome you with open arms, whether you have never cracked open a Bible before, or if you have read through it many times before, I believe that God has something to say to you today. So, hey, you want to do me a favor? I do want to keep a running tab of how far this Bible study is reaching. So, can you type in the comments, even if you have told us before, where you are watching from? I think I'm going to start a little map and start putting pins in it or something. I know last year we were worldwide. So, give us a shout out from what corner of the world you are in. I'm also curious how many of you got yourself a brand new Bible. And which Bible did you choose? That always seems to be one of the number one questions that I get. Now, I am personally using an interleaved Bible, which means I've got a page in between every page, and I'm using the ESV translation. You will be able to see my Bible fully on screen throughout this Bible study, and I do have my Bible as well as other journaling Bibles linked in the description box or the show notes. You can also download the YouVersion app, and that will give you free access to digital Bibles and all translations so that you can cross-reference and you can easily find what each day's reading is by using one of the chronological reading plans there. I also have those linked in the notes. And if you are a Bible recapper, we are following the same plan that they use, the same one we used last year. So if you do want a free downloadable version, though, if you are the type who likes hard copy, we do have a free Heart Dive 365 reading plan on our website. You can find that linked below or just head on over to heartdive.com. And grab that so you know where we are each day. Otherwise, if this Bible study blesses your life in any way today, and you want to link arms with us in sharing the gospel, could you please hit that like button for us? Make sure that you're subscribed to our channel or to our podcast. And because I am studying each day with you, the videos obviously are not going to come out at a certain time. So make sure you hit that notification bell if you are on YouTube so that you know when each video drops each day. Now, if you study at a certain time, I definitely would suggest continuing continuing that habit and using these videos to later supplement your studying because you can't rely on somebody else to study for you. And I will do my best, but trust me, I will disappoint you if you're expecting things to go a certain way. And I've got a hair in my mouth. <laughs> it takes me anywhere from six to 10 hours to study every day. And then I'm a one-man band when it comes to filming and editing. So I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience. And also in the notes and the description box, you will find a link to the images of my Bible meaning you will have full access to my notes that you can use as a tool in your studying. Now, keep in mind, these are my personal notes from my personal Bible. So anything I write, it is something that the Lord has spoken personally to me or something that I found interesting that will help me to learn. So it doesn't make it gospel. And I definitely want to encourage personal responsibility so that you don't take everything I say as truth because I'm going to get things wrong. And even the scholars that I'm studying with may be wrong. So I am a student of the word right along with you. So I don't have all the answers, nor am I a Bible expert. I am far from it. So if you have any commentary 
or any wisdom to add along the way, please, by all means, comment. I definitely encourage conversation here. Now, there are also additional resources linked both online and for purchase on Amazon in the description box. If you have any questions at all throughout the study, please feel free to comment. Otherwise, is go time. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means you are a holy God. And we declare that today as we come before you in your presence. Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. We don't want our will. We don't want to force our way. We want to be completely submissive before you. Our plans, our purpose, our desires, we want it to all be in line with you because we know that you have our best interests at heart. So we surrender everything today saying, yes, Lord, your will be done, not ours here on earth as it is in heaven. Please, Lord, give us this day our daily bread as we open up your word for that spiritual nourishment. Will you give us everything that we need for this day and moving forward? I pray that our eyes, our ears, our hearts will be open to be able to hear you, to see your face, to have a seed planted within us today. May our hearts be good soil to be able to receive it. Fully trusting, Lord, that you will nourish it, you will water it, and you will bear fruit in due time. Please forgive us of our sins, Lord, anything that we have done that has grieved your heart, that has hurt your heart, where we have fallen short, where we have crossed over the line, or where we have simply not obeyed. Will you please bring that to the top of our minds so we can make it right, Lord? If we have something against another person, oh God, I pray that we will lay it down right now, that we will go and make it right with that person because you are all about reconciliation and relationships. And so may we not fall short in making sure that every relationship in our life is right, at least in the power that we have to make it so. Help us also to forgive those who have sinned against us. Do not lead us into temptation, Lord. Keep the enemy far from us and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to start off by talking about the Holy Bible. What is the Bible? Where did it come from? What is it all about? So taking a look here at some of the notes that I took, the Bible was inspired by God. Literally, God breathed. And we see the scriptures related to that here. It is inerrant, meaning there were no errors. It does not contradict itself. Now, along the way, there have possibly been some copy error, but the message and the essential truth remained the same over thousands of years. The writings span from about 1500 BC to AD 95. There are 40 authors, and of course, the location being in the Middle East, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey and Europe. There are 66 books, so this is more like a library of books in one book. Now, the book is broken up into the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the word testament actually means promise. So when we look at the Old Testament, the language that it was originally written in was Hebrew. There was some Aramaic, and then later on it was translated into Greek, which is known as the Septuagint. Uh, the first five books of the Bible is actually the Pentateuch, which holds the law. So that's Genesis through Deuteronomy. And we will see in the Old Testament history books. There are 12 of them, poetry books, five of them. We will see books of the prophets, which there are five major and 12 minors, making up 929 chapters. Now in the New Testament, and the whole purpose of the Old Testament was to point to the coming of the Messiah, to the coming of Jesus. So when we look at the New Testament, its language was written in Greek and some Aramaic. We have the Gospels, which is the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a book of history in the book of Acts. We have 21 epistles or letters that were written mostly by Paul. There is one book that is apocalyptic or giving us prophecy, which is Revelation. And all of this making up 
260 chapters. So today, there are more than 66,000 manuscripts out there, Bibles, different versions, 24,000 being the New Testament. So today, there are 66,000 manuscripts out there. We have 24,000 of the New Testament out there, 42,000 Old Testament. That's a whole lot of writings of God's Word floating around the earth. It is the best-selling book of all time, and it has been translated into 2,500 languages. But guess what? There's only one relationship that we need to worry about, and that is our relationship with God. And this is what we are going to discover as we open up this book today. Now, we're starting off here in the book of Genesis. This word actually means beginning, book of beginnings. We'll see creation, sin, judgment, languages, race, marriage. It's a book of firsts. So I'll try to make note of the first of everything. And the author of this book is Moses, having written it probably in the wilderness of Sinai in the 15th century BC. And there are two parts that it'd be broken down into. Chapters 1 through 11 gives us the prologue. So it kind of sets the foundation, telling us about the creation, Adam and Eve, the flood, the early nations, and then the Tower of Babel. Whereas chapter 12 starts the story of Abraham and Sarai, which is where all of the tribes of Israel are birthed from. And that first covenant is made where God blesses his people. So as you can see, I've got all of my notes here before you. I do want to call attention to something here along the side in this margin. I have written out what are called the heartbeats of God, where I have seen God's nature or God's heartbeat flowing through the scripture. I'm not going to talk about it during this Bible study, but if you want to download my notes, you will be able to see where I saw God's heartbeat. And I would love it if you could add in the comments if you find other heartbeats as well. And why is this important? Because whenever you are able to unlock God's character or his nature through the hardest scriptures, it will really open up your eyes and be able to interpret scripture in the proper way, the way God had intended it to be read because everything that he has spoken and everything that he has done was always from a place of love and it was always good as we will see here in Genesis. So chapter one, the creation of the world. And this word create actually means to fashion anew. In the beginning, God. And we're just going to stop right here on this word, God. Now, there are many names for God in the Bible. And this very first name is the word Elohim. Now, the word El means God. That's the singular form of the word of God. But the Im makes this word actually plural, but it is used in a singular sense. So, what do we make of this plurality that is used in the singular form? Well, that just goes to show us that God is a plural God. He is a triune God. This is what we know as the Trinity or the Godhead, where there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three having very distinct roles, but one God. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. And we will see that continue throughout the book of Genesis. So this is the Hebrew form of Elohim written out. And it literally means fullness of deity or God, very God. So it really just talks about the power of who God is. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And I stopped here today and said, why in the world was there chaos and darkness? Because that is what it means when it says without form and void was that 
It was chaotic. Well, there are some scholars who believe that there is a gap between verse one and verse two. And they say that this could have been the time when Satan and a third of his angels fell from heaven, creating that evil and that chaos because the words darkness and deep obviously don't line up with God's nature who was here before the beginning of time. He has no beginning. And when we look at Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, it says that God created the earth not empty. So if it is empty now, that means that something emptied it out. And that is why we get that theory called the gap theory, implying that gap of time between verse one and two. So the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And could he possibly be hovering because there is a resistance by the enemy to the Holy Spirit and his work? Nevertheless, he's hovering and God said, let there be light. And there was light. So notice that as soon as he commanded it, it became a reality. The spoken word brings about the light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So here we see him naming the elements. And during this time, anytime someone was calling something or naming something, this would display lordship or authority. So we see his authority overall. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So notice the first thing God does in the midst of all the chaos. He simply turns on the light and that immediately separated the light from dark. So I don't know how you're starting out your year, but I have a feeling that God wants to turn on the light in some of the dark corners of your life. Maybe he needs to separate you from something and that isn't a bad thing. Let it happen because where the light is, darkness simply can't exist. So the first heart check of the year, what areas of your life do the lights need to be turned on? And by the way, we will be using these heart checks in our discussion group. So if you want to join our community, please make sure that you hit up our Facebook group. That is linked in the description box. And that's where we are continuing the conversation, encouraging one another. We're praying for each other after the videos are done. Verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So this expanse is like a canopy or a vapor blanket that was covering the earth or hovering above it. So almost like a global greenhouse. This is what kept out harmful UV rays. This is what allowed for perfect tropical temperatures and that lush vegetation. And this is why there was such long life in the early days because there was no pollution and there was no breakdown in the ozone layer. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So we saw light on the first day. We saw the atmosphere created on the second day. So there are different heavens in the Bible that we will hear about. The first heaven being the sky, which is where the birds fly. The second heaven Heaven being the cosmos, which is where the sun, moon, and stars are. And then the third heaven, what we more commonly know as heaven, which is the place where God dwells and the place we will all as believers go one day. Verse nine, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So here on the third day, he is creating the seas and the land. And in verse 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds. So this means that he is giving us mature plants on the earth that yield seed. So if you ever wondered what came first, the chicken or the egg, 
According to this, the chicken came first. And fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning on the third day. So we see him bringing the seas, the land, plants, and the reproductive system now being put into place. Now, when he keeps saying this according to its kind, why is there such an emphasis on that? Well, he's basically saying there will be variations of both plants and animals. So for instance, you will have cats, dogs, bears, reptiles, amphibians, all of these different kinds of animals. Now there will be different variations within that, but a cat will never become a dog. A dog will never become a reptile. They are according to their kind and they will remain that way. Kind of like how men and women are both humans, but a man cannot become a woman. A woman cannot become a man, squashing the idea that you can. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons. Now, some people use this as saying, oh, he gave us the sun, moon and stars for astrology. Well, no, we will see him speak against that a little bit later. So this is not speaking of astrology, but rather the ability to measure time and direction and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, so that's the sun and the moon, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, so that's the second heaven, right? To rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So the first blessing from God goes to the animals, which tells me that God loves animals. So if you've ever wondered, or if anybody has ever told you otherwise, don't believe them because here we see him blessing the animals of the earth. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So here we see the creation of land animals. Then God said, let us make man in our image. So there again, we see a reference to this triune God. And some people have said, oh no, he's talking about himself and the angels, but it can't be the angels because we are not made in the image of angels. We are made in the image of God. So when he says, let us make man in our image, he is saying mankind will not only look like us, they will also have moral and ethical and intellectual ability 
abilities like us. And also we will represent his reign here on earth and we will reflect his majesty. So that is being made in his image after his likeness and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So notice that he says, let them have dominion, meaning mankind is to rule over the birds, over the animals, over all created things of the earth. Now, this is just laying the foundation that he is creating man. We will see the details of that laid out in chapter two. So, these are not two distinct moments in time. This is him saying this is what happened, and then we'll see the details later. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, notice that both male and female are created equally in the image of God. Now, yes, they have differences and they are meant to complement each other, but he holds both of them to equal value. And God blessed them. So here is God's first blessing upon mankind. So this blessing means that he smiled upon them. He found pleasure in them. And following this blessing, we see the first commandment. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the commandment here is to be fruitful. How are we to be fruitful? Well, if we look at Galatians chapter five, we are able to be fruitful by inhabiting the fruit of the spirit. And the one fruit of the spirit is love, which encompasses all the other things, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. So if you go over those things, those are all things that stem out of love. So the way that we are to be fruitful is to love. Multiply. Why multiply? Well, because if there is evil and chaos on the earth, the way to be able to overcome, of course, is to have more love so that it can cancel out the evil. So we are indeed an army. And when he said to subdue the earth, that means to bring into bondage. Why would we need to bring the earth into bondage? Well, from Satan, because we know that he's going to have rule over the earth and he currently does, subdue it from sin and to manage and steward the gift God gave to mankind by way of the earth. And when he says to have dominion over living beings, again, that means it is to have rule over them. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So that goes to show that pre-fall, we were meant to be vegetarian. And I know some of you carnivores are like, no, I don't like this already. But I assure you that pre-fall, there was a desire to be vegetarian. There wasn't a longing for meat. So this wasn't a bad thing. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So we end the first chapter with God declaring that everything he had created thus far was good. So heart check, whenever you look around, can you still see God's goodness in the world? And do me a favor, look around right now, wherever you are, and just tell us in the comments three things that you see that are good. And I can just see right here, I see color, good. Word of God, 
good. My coffee, good. And the reason why we do this is because we want to make it a habit to look for good in life. Because whenever you look for something, that is what you're going to be focused on. And I would rather have a heart and a set of eyes that is focused on the good things in life so that my thoughts and my actions will follow. Now, some would call this the art or practice of gratitude. So let's make that a resolution for this year. Look for the good in the world. And now we come to the Sabbath day in chapter two, the seventh day, which actually means Sabbath. Thus the heavens, and notice that it's plural there, and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Now notice that he is resting, not because he is tired, but because of his accomplishment. He's like, I did everything. It is finished. And therefore I'm going to look at this and show my satisfaction over it. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, even though he is resting, he is not taking the day off. God is still working and moving on the seventh day, just as Jesus did whenever he walked the earth. Now, the subject of the Sabbath day and whether or not we are still called to observe it is a point of contention for many believers and let's not fight about it. For one thing, it is a commandment later given by God, and Jesus himself still observes it. And again, it's because God created it for our good. It is not intended to be a burden like some people might see. But we will also later see in scripture that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And because he came to fulfill the law, we are able to now rest spiritually in him. Even in Colossians 2, it also says that as believers, we are not to be judged by whether or not we keep the Sabbath day. Now, that's what the word says. I am not saying that. So for me personally, I definitely encourage taking a Sabbath as God clearly commanded it for a reason. And you will find that it is actually pretty life-changing whenever you truly devote just one day out of the week to get proper rest. I actually had a strong conviction a couple of years ago to honor this. And so I do take a Sabbath on Saturday, just a heads up, where I don't work. So in this case, that means I'm not going to be recording any videos or podcasts. So you will find that some days will be doubled up on either side of the Sabbath day, depending on whether or not I am able to get ahead during the week. Now, some people heard me say Saturday that I take as a Sabbath and are automatically saying, wait a minute, are you a Seventh-day Adventist? And I will answer, you know, I am not. But I observe Saturday as the Sabbath day because that's the seventh day according to the Bible and the Jewish calendar. So no judgment from me for anybody who does not, because that is where the Pharisees had it all wrong. But let's do a heart check here. Do you take a day of rest? And if so, have you found that it has been beneficial? And if you don't, what is keeping you from doing so? So let us know your answers in the comments below. Now here, starting in verse four, we see that detailed account of what started in verse 27 of chapter one. These are the generations or the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, 
for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils. We're going to stop here for a second, because clearly we see that there is no rain. However, God's got his own little sprinkler system going on somehow. But let's take a look at this Lord God. The word God is still the same, Elohim, but now that we have added the word Lord to it in the Hebrew script, that is actually what we know of as Yahweh or the letters Y-H-W-H. So when we see it in our Bibles, typically in English Bibles, that is a capital L followed by a smaller capital letters O-R-D. So that it refers to as Yahweh, which is God's proper name. Either Yahweh or Jehovah, both of those are two pronunciations that people have come up with over the years. The reason why there are no vowels between Y-H-W-H is because back in the day, the name of God was so holy that no one wanted to speak it for fear that they would die. They wouldn't even write it down. That's how serious it was. So that's why you will only see the four letters written. And so over the years, we have been freed from that fear and we say it's either Yahweh or Jehovah. Those are the two pronunciations. So same God, just different versions of the name. Now, when he is forming the man out of the dust on the ground, this is saying, Saying that he was formed out of lowliness and humility. This does not mean that it is evil or it does not mean that it is formed out of nothing, but it is formed from next to nothing. And the word breathe in Hebrew is actually the word ruach, and in Greek it is pneuma. And so usually whenever we see that word in scripture, either pneuma or ruach, it is referring to either the breath, the wind, or the spirit of God. So in other words, this is the infusion of God's spirit into man, which is bringing the moral, intellectual, relational, spiritual capacities for man. So his breath and his spirit is actually what distinguishes us from animals. Animals do not have the the breath of life, the spirit of God in them. And so we become living souls whenever we have the breath of life breathed into us. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So this word Eden means delight. We don't know the exact location of it, but it just was somewhere east. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we have two distinct trees here. Most people hear Bible stories and only think there was one tree that Adam and Eve ate from, and therefore there was sin and the fall of mankind, but there's actually two trees. So let's take a look here. We've got the tree of life, which offers eternal life. And that tree is still in heaven and will be restored again in Eden or here on earth whenever the millennium happens. But then there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the tree that they were commanded not to eat from. So it was not for man, but it was placed there to be able to test good and evil in man. And this was God's way of offering free will. He never wants us to be forced 
to love Him or forced to follow Him. So by providing this opportunity to choose good or evil, this is declaring His true love because true love is never forced. It is always built on choice. So that's what I'm talking about when I say we're finding God's heartbeat in the midst of these words. Because if you read this at face value, you can say, man, what a cruel God to put this temptation in front of them. But that's not the case at all. Verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed from around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, all of these rivers were wiped out eventually by the flood. So we don't know where the exact location of these rivers are today. Of course, we know that there are rivers named the Tigris and named Euphrates. So it is likely that those names were taken from the inspiration of these rivers in the past. But the flood changed everything. Now, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So, this work here is not the work that we know it today. If you think about one of your favorite hobbies or things to do, for Adam, it would have been gardening, and gardening would have been easy to him. It was something that came easy. This was a gift and a perfect place to live in that God had given them. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he is telling Adam, not Adam and Eve. He's telling Adam, giving him the commandment that he is not to eat from this one tree. Now, notice that he is giving him permission before he tells him the restrictions. So, the permission is broad. He can eat of every single tree, whereas the restriction is narrow. Only one tree you cannot eat eat from. But of course, sin and the fall changes this completely because then we hear that the gate and the road to life is actually narrow. But again, this will all be restored after Jesus comes back again. So essentially, God is telling him, if you eat of this tree, that is going to be sin and you will die. Previously, they were to have everlasting life in the Garden of Eden. But because the wages of sin is death, once they sin, there will now be death. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. Well, notice that everything before that was good. Why is this suddenly not good? Well, it's because God always has our best interest at hand. And so when he's looking at Adam all by himself, he's like, wait a minute, the man should not be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. So remember when I was just saying that anyone who ever named something that declared rulership or lordship over it. So here we see him observing and studying and classifying all of the creatures on the earth. So he was basically our first scientist. And every name that he gave animals, it was suitable for that animal. And I kind of crack up because the other day I was looking at my child's phone and the text message that he had sent to me, and he actually named me. Have you ever looked at your child's phone and what they name you on it? I'm named Cook. 
That's what I am to my child. That is what he has named me. So the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, so here we are seeing the first use of the name of Adam, which actually means red or ground, which obviously is a reference to where he came from. There was not found a helper fit for him. So none of the animals, as amazing as they were, were a good fit for Adam. Thank God. <laughs> so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. Or this word made is translated to built. And it makes sense here if you think about the makeup of a human body with all of the molecules and the DNA. It is literally built. So he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So sourced out of God was Adam, sourced out of Adam was woman, God being the ultimate source. So here we see kind of the first surgery, I guess you could say. Now, when he calls this woman a helper fit for him, this means that she is to be a companion. It doesn't mean that she is to become his slave. It means that she is suitable. These are all different meanings of this word helper. It means that they fit together. She is an equal partner to him. She is a gift to him because it actually says he brought her to him. And she is not inferior because if you're going to take the word helper and say, well, that means she is inferior to man. Well, then what does that leave of God, our helper? He's not inferior to us yet he still helps us. So this does not declare woman as secondary or subordinate to man in any way. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and they shall become one flesh. So here we see marriage coming about. Now, because God created marriage for the purpose of fulfilling his eternal purpose of being fruitful and multiplying, the enemy is gonna do everything he can to try to destroy marriages. And if he can break down marriages, he knows that he can also begin to break down society. And you see that happening today with divorces at an all-time high, our society and the breakdown of it also at an all-time high. So keep this in mind the next time that you begin to feel a little bit irked with your spouse because they are not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. And we could break this one chapter into like 52 different sermons about marriage. But I think the main thing is to walk away with this. Marriage is a gift from God and so is your spouse. They are not a thorn in your side. They are not a pain in your even though it feels like that sometime. So heart check for the married couples. Do you see your spouse as a gift or a treasure from God? Because remember where your treasure is, this is what scripture says, there your heart will be also. So if you ever feel like your feelings are starting to fade, or maybe you're just not in love with that person anymore, see if you could get back to seeing them as the gift that God originally gave you or the treasure. And then your heart and your feelings will follow suit. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we see here that they didn't know any shame. They only simply knew good. They were essentially innocent. They had nothing to hide and they were 
comfortable in their own skin. Now, I want to go back to this idea of unity in a marriage and what is required for it. Number one, he says, it requires you to leave your mother and your father or to leave anything that hinders or draws you away from your marriage or from your spouse. And then you are to cleave to or hold fast to. Now, this is not saying be obsessive over or control them, but it means you hold fast. It means you are willing to sacrifice your own selfish desires and sacrifice your own life for your treasure. And then third thing, when it says the two shall become one flesh, this is speaking of physical intimacy. And so when two come together, they are created one flesh. And that is why it is so important for us to maintain that purity within our marriage. Anything outside of that, you're becoming one flesh with that person and therefore potentially breaking down the unity and the oneness that is intended for marriage only. And if you really think about it, I mean, whenever you do have that intimacy with a person, there's a piece of your heart and a piece of your soul that kind of goes with them. Your emotions, your mind, which is your soul, by the way, those things start to become a attached to that person. Now, some people will talk about soul ties. I don't believe soul ties are actually biblical because we're speaking of the flesh here, but you can say because your mind and your emotions begin to get attached to that person, that is where we find that connection of the soul. So chapter three is where it all goes downhill. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So here we see the father of lies, the most deceitful one, initiating the fall of man with questioning, with doubt, trying to get Eve to doubt what her husband had told her. Because remember, she didn't get the commandment from God. She got it from Adam. And that's what he's going to try to use on you too. He's going to try to make you doubt the promises that God has spoken. He's going to try to get you to doubt your faith. So remember that doubt is not from God. And if you start to doubt, start praying, start declaring that truth. And then the woman said to the serpent, okay, this is a mistake already. Don't converse with the devil. You can rebuke him, but don't talk to him because that is only going to lead to a bigger spiraling. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Okay, that so far is right. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. That is where we go wrong. Eve is now adding to what God had spoken. This is the first of legalism that we see in the Bible. She is now adding a hindrance to the word of God and adding a work that will not actually save them. He never said you cannot touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that is the way that deception is. Deception is often mixed with truth. There will be just enough truth in there to get you confused about what is actually right and wrong. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Okay, so first of all, this is Satan's first lie that they will not surely die because they will die if they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said so. But he then mixes it with truth again for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. So they will be open, but it's going to be open to their own sin and rebellion, not to his wisdom and knowledge. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he's basically calling God a liar. 
and trying to appeal to her pride. And he's doing so by making her think that she's missing out on something. He is blowing FOMO in her face. By the way, that's fear of missing out, F-O-M-O, as if God is withholding something good from her. But the Bible says that God will not withhold anything good from those who are righteous. And sin is deceptive that way. It will make you think that it is good in the time being, or it will make you think that if you don't do it, you're missing out on good. Verse six, and so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit. So here we see her walking into sin. And sin is actually categorized in three different areas, which we will see in 1 John chapter 2. It is either the lust of the flesh, which is, it tastes good, it's going to be good for me. The lust of the eyes, which is, it looks good. Or the pride of life, which means you will be made more if you do this. And those are the very three things that she saw here. She saw that it was good for food. So is it going to taste real good? It was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life that if you do it, you will be made wise. So she saw it, began to think about, "Mm, maybe I should do it. She took it. So now she's playing with fire. But then third, she finally ate it. So that is the process of sin. We will see it. We will think about it. We'll then take it in our hands and then we will commit it. So there is no such thing as falling into sin. We walk into sin one step at a time. It starts with a thought. It starts with something that you see. And then eventually you are in full-blown sin and taken over by it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, remember, Adam knew better. He had the full commandment and he didn't even question it. He just straight took the fruit and ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they're no longer innocent. They're no longer naive. And because of this, now the faith with God is broken. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And that's what sin will do. It'll make you want to run and hide from God. But the Lord God called to the man in mercy. I mean, he could have just struck him down right there, but he didn't. He called to him. And that's just what God does. He pursues us even in the midst of our sin and said to him, where are you? (laughs) Well, you're lost. He's lost. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, it's not as if God doesn't know the answers to these questions. Clearly he does. But what he's trying to do here is to get Adam to see what he has done and to confess. And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So here we see a classic case of the blame game. God is trying to give them an opportunity to own up to what they had done. But instead, they start pointing fingers saying, he made me do it. She made me do it. And the thing is, is you can never go back and change what you've already done. So blaming somebody else is not going to do you any good. But what you can do is get right with God. But that is never going to happen if we are playing the blame game. So heart check. Are you able to openly confess your shortcomings without shifting the blame to others? Are you able to take responsibility for what you have done? Now, again, the interesting twist here is that by Adam blaming Eve 
it is actually unjust because he knew what he was doing and he had the commandment. So he ultimately bears the responsibility for the fall of man as written in the word. Now, the Lord God said to the serpent, who is the one who did all of this, right? He is the deceiver and he's gonna get the harshest judgment. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So he is going to be here on this earth having dominion over it, temporarily, but cursed nevertheless. And I will put my enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So here we are seeing the first mention of the gospel. This is what is known as proto-evangelium. And we say this because the offspring of Satan, well, that's a kind of cloudy, but ultimately it is Satan. And her offspring, which points to Jesus coming from the woman, he shall bruise your head. In other words, he's gonna have victory over you. He's gonna crush you and you shall bruise his heel. So you're gonna try to injure him, but you're not gonna be successful. And I thought this was interesting because with Satan knowing this, He's still going to try to go after Jesus and injure him anyway, even though he has been given notice that when he tries to, he's still going to be crushed under his foot. So that image of Jesus's bruised heel is his bruised and broken body on the cross. Now, God does not directly curse the woman and the man because remember, he has blessed them, but he is pronouncing curses and giving them a new reality. So to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. So having a baby is now going to create a whole lot of pain and sorrow. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, I know that there are some people sitting here with their translation of Bible saying, my Bible says that your desire shall be for your husband. Well, when you take a look at the original Hebrew script, the word that was used for desire actually means attempt to control. So it wouldn't make sense that it would say your attempt to control shall be for your husband, right? It would actually mean that you will be against your husband. This is part of the curse. And it makes sense because now we are seeing the battle of the sexes being brought forth because this is the same word for desire that is used in chapter four, speaking about the desire of sin to conquer Cain. So it is wanting to have dominion over Cain. So this is that same reality that women are going to try to domineer over men, whereas the men are going to try to be tyrannical over the women. And this was not something that God intended. This was a result of the sin of the fall of man. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, remember he's responsible, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. So previously everything was lush and amazing and perfect, but now there are thorns and thistles and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. So meaning you will now die for you are dust and to dust you shall return. So he's not only serving them a notice of aging and decay, but also a notice of death due to this disobedience. Now, the man called his wife's name Eve. So he's changing her name from woman to Eve. And this is related to the verb that means to live, or some say the name means giver of life, because she was the mother of all living, made for Adam and for his wife, garments of skins and clothed them. So we see the first killing of animals. And some say this is because there was bloodshed that was required for 
for sin. And so he made skins out of the animals to clothe them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand. And this doesn't mean that they're fully knowledgeable like God, but it means that now they have this ability to discern between good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Now, again, this is one of those things that could say, why would God be so cruel to kick them out of the garden of Eden? But this is his mercy right here. What he is doing is he is taking them out of the garden because the fact that their bodies are aging and decaying and eventually going to die, if they eat of the tree of life, they are going to live forever in that state of age and decaying. So can you imagine being 5,000 years old at the current rate of which you are aging? So I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Kick them out of the garden. I don't want to be 5,000 years old. I mean, most of us are freaking out about turning 60 or 70 or 80, let alone 5,000. So I'll take it. And he drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, this image we will see once again at the tabernacle in the building of it and also at the empty tomb. But this is something that will be restored in the millennium, giving us such a ray of hope. Now, this is another note that I'm adding into my Bible here. If you've never heard of it, there are references to the first Adam and the second Adam, which will be Jesus who comes. So let's take a look here at the differences or even the similarities between the two. The first Adam formed by God, so fully human. The second Adam sourced in God, so he's fully human, but also fully God or divine. The first Adam has dominion over the earth or lordship, whereas Jesus has ruler over all creation. He was given the breath of life, whereas Jesus is the breath of life by way of the Holy Spirit. The first Adam out of his side came his bride, whereas the second Adam, Jesus, was pierced in the side on the cross, birthing the bride or the church. The first Adam tempted and fell weak to sin. The second Adam, Jesus, tempted and stood and remained sinless. First Adam brought sin into the world. Second Adam took it out. First Adam brought forth death by sin. Second Adam, Jesus, his death brought forth life. First Adam, all men now condemned because of what he has done, whereas Jesus allows for all men to be able to be redeemed. Sin in the first Adam brought pain to childbirth, whereas Jesus endured the worst pain for our sake. Sin brought conflict. Jesus endured the conflict. Sin brought forth thorns and the fall of man, whereas Jesus wore a crown of thorns to bring salvation. And sin brought sorrow to the world, whereas Jesus became the man of sorrows. And we'll see more references to Jesus as the second Adam as we go throughout this word. So here we are on the first day, the completion of it. Thank you again for your patience and waiting for this video to come out or this podcast to come out. And I hope that God spoke to your heart in one way or another. And I would encourage you to let us know in the comments below how the Lord has revealed something to you. What is he declaring over your 2024? I think it's going to be amazing. And I hope that you will stick around with us in this fellowship, remaining in the word, remaining steadfast and holding fast to all of his promises. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are our sovereign creator and we recognize your goodness in all that you have done and in all that you are. 
I thank you so much, Lord, for the plan that you have had from the beginning of time as we know it to fulfill an eternal purpose. What a privilege it is, God, to be a part of that. Thank you so much for bringing light into every dark area of our lives. And I pray that if there is anything, God, that needs to be exposed, will you turn on the light? We know and recognize that we are made in your image. And so we wanna make sure that we are upholding that, sharing who you are, especially doing so with the fruit of the Spirit dwelling within, expressing itself through love. May we hear the call today to be fruitful and multiply, not just physically, God, because we know that not everyone can have children, but spiritually as well. Help us to be people who are helping to fill the earth with more of you. May we have eyes, God, that are set on looking for good so that our thoughts and actions will follow suit. And I pray that we will take authority today so that we will be good stewards of all that you have given to us. And this includes stewarding our own health and our bodies by getting proper rest. And I also pray for married couples, Lord, and even for our future spouses, for those of us who aren't even married yet, that they will be the ones that you have chosen for us to become one with. Not so we can lord over, fight with, or demean in any way, but to live in unity with mutual respect and honor, fully trusting that we have been given distinct gifts to be able to complement one another in the most perfect way, just as you intended it from the beginning. And we also know that full satisfaction cannot be met by another person, but only through you, Jesus. And so I pray we will honor even more the marriage covenant between us as the bride or as the church and you as our groom. So thank you for allowing us to see such meticulous and personal care that you had whenever you created the world and everything in it. And we know that it will once again be restored. Until then, we know that we have to endure hardships of life because of the fall and because of our sin nature. So I pray more than ever, God, that we will live our lives fighting for restoration of your original plan. Thank you for always pursuing us despite our sin, and for granting us so much mercy whenever we didn't deserve it. You are the promise keeper. And as we stand here on day one, we look forward to day 365, when we are able to see your full and redemptive plan laid out. So may we remain faithful so that we can see it come to pass. We love you so much in Jesus name, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I wanna be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm gonna end up after I die, but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer and I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, 
thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.